0: Hi, this is Hannah Langdell and Rachel Hine, Duke Plastic Surgery residents on The Resident Review, a Duke Plastic Surgery podcast. This is a lecture series designed to aid in preparation for our yearly in-service examination. Our goal is to take you through high-yield topics along with experts in their respective fields in order to maximize your knowledge and potential scores. Stay tuned after for a brief message from our sponsor. Today we'll be continuing our quick hit series, which comes from questions from the last five to eight years of in-service exams. And we'll be talking about GU reconstruction. Rachel, do you want to get us started with anatomy?
1: Sure. So there's a few regions of anatomy that we may not be tested on, but are important to know for reconstruction. So first is the perineum, and this includes the area between the vagina and the anus in women and the area between the scrotum and anus in men. Um, it, remember it contains two fascial layers, superficial and deep, and the deep layer is continuous with the collies fascia of the thigh. For the male, the penis consists of the root body and epithelium or glands penis. The penile layers, which we can be tested on are skin, dartos fascia, bucks fascia, and tunica albigenia. The neurovascular bundle is the deep dorsal vein, dorsal artery, and paired dorsal nerves. And the erectile tissue is the paired corpora cavernosa and corpora spongiosum. The urethra passes through the corpus spongiosum in the meatus and ends at the tip of the gland penis. For the female vulva, this includes the mons pubis, the labia majora, minora, clitoris, and vestibule. So the labia minora consists of skin, campers fascia, and collies fascia. The labia minora is just folds of skin without fat. The clitoris is derived from the undifferentiated phallus and has paired corpora. Um, The vagina, which is a muscular tubular structure that extends from the vulva to the uterus, Its length is typically six centimeters across the anterior wall and seven centimeters across the posterior wall and the width is 2.6 to 3.25 centimeters. The blood supply to the genitourinary system is the internal pudendal artery, which supplies the perineum from the internal iliac. You have the perineal artery and the common penile artery. And then you have the superficial and deep external pudendal artery, which are branches off the side of the femoral artery. Hannah, why don't you talk to us about some of the defects for GU reconstruction
0: so there are several reconstruction considerations when reconstructing the perineum. There are very high bacterial counts, second highest in the body. So we want to make sure we avoid wound contamination with stool or urine, make sure we address pressure necrosis. And despite this, there's a high infection dehiscence rate, uh, 66% dehiscence rate. Other considerations are to consider if the patient has had chemo radiation. If the patient has adequate nutritional status and the goal of reconstruction is return to sexual function, which is about 50%. In terms of treatment for vaginal defects, what is very common is the Singapore flap. And this is described as a 15 by 6 centimeter skin flap with a medial incision in the thigh crease lateral to the hair bearing area and the posterior flap at the posterior fourchette. The arterial supply is the posterior labial arteries, which are branches of the pudendal artery. The sensation is via the posterior labial branches of the pudendal nerve. This flap is elevated in the fascia plane of the deep fascia of the thigh directly over the adductor muscles. The donor site can be primarily closed and there are several variations to be aware of. The modified Singapore flap is based off of the superficial perineal arteries. And the superficial perineal nerve supplies sensation to the flap for immediate sensation postoperatively.
1: Commonly tested. This
0: is good for posterior vaginal reconstruction. And then the second flap is the vertical rectus flap. And we most commonly use this after an APR and can be used after radiation. The goal of using the vertical rectus is to bring healthy tissue that has not been irradiated into this area. This flap has a type 3 blood supply and is supplied by the superior and deep inferior epigastrics. And when used for this indication, it's based on the deep inferior epigastrics. The skin paddle is designed as a paramedian skin paddle, and the abdominal wall can be closed primarily.
1: And we're typically tested on this, like she said, for APR or LAR defects, and then also for circumferential or subtotal vaginal defects. The vertical rectus or VRAM is the number one choice for your test question. And then finally, we have bilateral gracilis
0: flaps, and this is good for total vaginal reconstruction with or without a skin paddle. The sensation is inconsistent, but it does have a reliable perforator. These can be performed uh, unilaterally or bilaterally. The arterial supplies the medial femoral circumflex artery with secondary minor pedicles, on the superficial femoral artery in a segmental fashion. Do you want to take us through vulva reconstruction?
1: Sure. So vulva defects are typically from squamous cell carcinoma or other types of skin cancer, like in sclerosis, HPV. To think about it, you divide it into thirds. So the upper thirds, mons and labia, middle third, labia proper, and lower third, vaginal orifice and perineum. So upper third defects may be closed primarily. Larger defects, you wanna use a pedicled ALT. So pedicle ALT we see commonly for upper third defects. Remember that this is a flap based off the descending branch of the lateral circumflex artery. And that runs between the vastus lateralis and medialis. Um, You can tunnel, if you don't have enough uh, pedicle length, you can tunnel this under the rectus and sartorius to add length. You can also add muscle if dead space is present. For middle third defects, you're thinking the Singapore flap, bilateral gracilis flaps, and gluteal fold flaps. Um, The gracilis is most commonly used for middle defects. And then there's also something called the lotus flap, which is a modification of the Singapore flap. And this is also sensate. So it uses a superficial perineal artery and nerve, and it's in a design of a lotus. And then the lower third defects, vaginal orifice or perianal area, you can use a gluteal fold flap for that. Treatment of penile defects or reconstruction. So this is typically, again, after like in sclerosis, carcinoma of the penis, neuroendocrine tumors, it's classified as partial or complete. And you're going to be thinking about the typical flaps you would use for penile reconstruction or transgender surgery. So radial forearm flap, which can be sensate. It's innervated by the antibrachial cutaneous nerve, and that's co-opted to the pudendal nerves. The Free Sensate Osteocutaneous Fibular Flap is another option. It has an innervated skin island via the peroneal nerve. And the pedicled ALT can be a tube and tube technique with preservation of the lateral femoral cutaneous nerves, again, for sensation. For scoral reconstruction, we typically see this after 40 years gangrene. Um, in the absence of prior radiation therapy, you can back it and sometimes use skin graft or local tissue transfer. For other larger defects, you can use superior medial thigh flaps, pedicled ALT, gracilis, or even tissue expansion.
0: So we'll get a question about if there's a traumatic amputation of the penis, uh, what should you do? And the answer is we will attempt microvascular replantation. The penis should be kept on saline, soaked gauze, placed in a sterile bag, and the bag should be placed in slush. First, you should ask for urinary diversion from our urology colleagues with a suprapubic catheter. The urethral anastomosis is done over a Foley. The corporal body coaptations are performed by approximating the tunica albuginea. And then we perform microsurgical anastomosis of the dorsal vessels, the nerves, and then finally skin closure.
1: So that's the deep dorsal penile artery. That's the answer for what do you anastomose to? Next, we will go through transgender surgery. Yeah, this is becoming more and more common on our tests, so I anticipate more questions regarding this. Yes. So, gender dysphoria is defined as a person whose gender at birth is incongruent with their
0: gender identity. And then we get a lot of questions about preoperative assessment. And this is what are the criteria before a patient can undergo. Uh, transgender surgery, and these are W-PATH criteria. So all patients must have capacity for informed consent. The age of consent is 18 years. However, patients can undergo female to male breast surgery if they have a consenting guardian, and they have lived in the congruent gender for at least one year and have completed one year of testosterone therapy. All patients must have a referral from a mental health professional that documents persistent gender dysphoria one referral is required for chest reconstruction and two referrals for patients seeking genital reconstruction. All comorbidities should be managed. And importantly, hormone therapy is not required for chest affirmation, but is encouraged. However, it is required. hormone therapy is required for 12 months prior to any genital reconstruction surgery. And patients must have lived for 12 months continuously in their gender role. For genital reconstruction. For genital reconstruction. So for genital reconstruction, the criteria are much more stringent than for chest surgery. So for male to female chest surgery, this is implant-based breast augmentation. Again, hormone therapy is not required. However, estrogen is recommended prior to surgery to allow for breast growth and improved results. Fat grafting can be utilized, and the approach to operative management is similar to cis patients. In terms of the anatomy, the male chest is slightly wider, and the preference for incision and plane of implant placement is surgeon-dependent. The complications are similar, capsular contracture, hematoma, prosthetic rupture, and breast mammography is still required every two years, starting at age 50 or 5 to 10 years after feminizing hormone. For genital reconstruction, the goals are sexual sensation, functional vagina, and acceptable cosmesis. So penile inversion vaginoplasty is the gold standard. This includes scrotal excision, high-end ligation, orchiectomy, dissection of the penis, creation of a neovagina in the pre-rectal space, and creating a neoclitoris, utilizing the glands, penis, and neourethral anastomosis. Neovaginal stenosis is the most common complication. And patients may experience meatal stenosis or a splayed urinary screen. And patients still need to undergo prostate screening uh, after surgery. Rachel, do you want to take us through the female to
1: male surgeries? Just something to highlight what Hannah was saying. For the genital reconstruction, for male to female, neovaginal stenosis is most mm-hmm. common, but for female to male genital reconstruction, it's urinary complications. So that is something that we've been tested on and should differentiate. For female to male surgery, there's chest surgery. So you can perform a a subcutaneous mastectomy for those that desire a more male chest contour. Goals include male contour, acceptable positioning of the NAC, and minimal scars. Breast size and skin elasticity are most important factors when planning surgical incisions. So for patients with small breasts or grade one ptosis, liposuction may be performed in combination or alone with a transareolar approach for just a glandular resection. Medium breasts with moderate ptosis can undergo a concentric or extended concentric design. And then large breasts with grade two or grade three ptosis, the ideal if the patient wants a male chest contour is mastectomy and free nipple graft. Post-chest reconstruction, remember they should continue their cisgender female screening for breast cancer if they have not had a mastectomy or have had a breast reduction. Genital reconstruction, the goals of reconstruction are to create an ideal neophallus that is aesthetically pleasing, has intact tactile and erogenous sensation, provides standing urination, and imparts minimal donor site morbidity. So there's two different kinds. There's a metoidioplasty or a phalloplasty. And metoidioplasty involves creation of the neophallus from a hypertrophied clitoris. The clitoris is dissected with detachments of the clitoral ligament and division of the urethral plate with urethroplasty to increase neophallus length. The drawback to this is a shorter neophallus, so you only get about five to seven centimeters. A pedicle phalloplasty can be performed for an ALT, and this is a tube and a tube design um, for neourethral formation. The difficulties with this flap include it has a thick subcutaneous layer that limits tube formation, and you need a prosthesis for erectile function. You can perform a free flap phalloplasties with either radial form free flap, which is the first choice. This is an aesthetic neophallus with adequate length for standing urination. You can perform an aurorophy to the antibrachial cutaneous and dorsal clitoral or ilioinguinal nerves. And the donor morbidity is the downside to this flap. Urologic dysfunction includes urethral strictures and fistula, and these are the most common in female to male general reconstruction. And then most patients will undergo a total abdominal hysterectomy and bilateral salpingo TAHBSO prior to phalloplasty, but you still need cervical cancer screening after genital reconstruction. Thanks for joining us. That's it, thank you. We would like to thank Allergan for their continued support of our podcast. Allergan Aesthetics is now part of AbbVie, an international leader in many different therapeutic categories. Many of our topics and therapies we discuss on our podcast are provided by Allergan. They continue to be a leader in the fields of breast reconstruction, abdominal wall reconstruction, medical aesthetics, and much more. Additionally, they're dedicated to supporting the education of plastic surgery residents and plastic surgeons across the country.